following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We're going to Matthew's Gospel this morning, chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible, uh, always a good idea to bring your Bible to church, even at Christmas time. Uh, If you've got the Bible on your device, pull that out. Matthew chapter 1. I know it's a familiar story to many of you, and a lot of you are like, I know the story. I'm not even opening my Bible today. But just let's have a fresh look at it, okay? Let's uh, read the Word and see what it says. So Matthew chapter 1. I'll read this as the last of those worship bags go around. Verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, now just for a little bit of fun here as we start. The, uh, I think the award for the uh, strangest nativity scene this year goes to Vatican City in Rome. Has anyone seen this? We've got a photo. I don't know how easily you'll be able to see this. But every year, Vatican City come up with a nativity scene, and it's there in St. Peter's Square in Rome. And so this is the nativity scene that's there right now. They put this up last week. So you've got Mary and Joseph there, and then you've also got an astronaut. Uh, who's come obviously on a very long pilgrimage to see baby Jesus from outer space. And then behind the manger there, you've got this very ominous figure there. It looks a bit like Darth Vader. And so they've also come to visit Jesus. Now, I don't know where Darth Vader is in the Christmas story. I don't know where the astronaut is in the Christmas story, but apparently they're there somewhere. Um, I guess we just haven't read the Christmas story clearly enough. But um, that is, just when you thought, 2020 couldn't get any weirder. That's, that's what we get. So there you go. Now, we're not going to talk about Darth Vader or the astronaut this morning. Okay, I want to talk about someone who was actually there at the first Christmas. We're going to talk about Joseph. Joseph is obviously a very central character in the Christmas story, but he tends to be a bit of a, a shadowy kind of figure, I think. Interestingly, Joseph is the only person in the whole Christmas story who never says anything. He's, I mean, other than baby Jesus, who's a baby, uh, Joseph doesn't speak. So Mary speaks, the angels speak, the wise men speak, even King Herod speaks, but Joseph never says a word. I mean, obviously he did say things, but they're just not recorded uh, in, the, in the Bible. So he's a silent part of the story. And I think for that reason, we, we get this idea that Joseph was a really passive kind of guy and he's not really that involved. Um, if you've ever been Joseph in a Christmas production, it's not a really interesting role, is it? 
you just have to walk, you're always just walking the donkey and then you're just standing there. It's about all that you do. So he's not really, he doesn't seem that involved. He seems quite passive. But I want to suggest that Joseph is more central to the story than maybe we realize, that there's more going on with Joseph than sometimes we appreciate. And he has a more significant role in the biblical story than we think. Joseph has a very pivotal part to play in moving this whole story forward. And in fact, there's something about Joseph that tells us something really important about Jesus. Joseph shows us a lot about who Jesus is. So we're going to look at the story from Joseph's perspective, trying to understand his experience and his story and how all this unfolded from Joseph's viewpoint. So Joseph was a pretty ordinary guy. And usually, I don't know about you, when you think of Joseph in the Christmas story, we generally picture him as being quite an old guy, don't we? Like usually when you see him on Christmas cards and paintings and things, he looks like he's, you know, he's, he's quite old. But the reality is he would have probably been a teenager at the time. Joseph was probably, when Jesus was born, he was probably between 16 and 18. I mean, people got married young in those days. That's just how it happened. And he was a young guy. He would have just recently probably finished his schooling. Jewish boys went through school till about 13, 14. And then usually they'd go into their father's trade. And that's exactly what Joseph would have done. His father had a construction business. And so Joseph became a builder. And here he was just early in his building career. And he would have spent his time working on houses in, in his hometown of Nazareth. And probably over the hill as well in, in Sephoris, this big new city that was developing, this big Roman city full of amazing buildings, amazing architecture. Joseph probably worked on some of those buildings as well, along with his dad in this construction business. He was a normal guy. He was living a normal life. There is one thing that's special about Joseph, and that is that he was related to King David. That's quite significant. So Joseph could trace his ancestry back all the way to King David, the great, most famous, most significant of all of Israel's kings. That's a, that's a pretty major thing, right? That's like you being able to trace your ancestry back to Genghis Khan or someone, you know, someone really significant in history. And you can say, I'm related to that person. Well, Joseph knew. People knew their family trees and he could, he could work it out. And so Joseph was in this, this line of royalty. There weren't any kings in Israel at that time. So it's not like someone in Joseph's family was actually the king, but, but he could trace it back all the way to King David. And so that was a very significant thing for his family. And it meant too that those promises that God had made to David would have been really significant for Joseph. I mean, God made these amazing promises to David about how one of David's sons, one of David's descendants would sit on his throne and would reign over God's eternal kingdom and his government will know no end and he will establish David's throne forever. And so they were always looking for this descendant of David's to sit on the throne, the son of David. And for Joseph to be in that family, to be from the tribe of Judah, to be part of David's line, his family would have expected that Messiah. His family would have had this anticipation that this guy is coming. These promises are going to be fulfilled and it's going to be someone in our family. So Joseph's family lived with that awareness and that expectation because of that Davidic lineage that they had. Now, there's only a brief little description of Joseph's character in the Bible. We don't know much about him. We're not told a whole lot. But there is this one verse in, in verse 19, if you look at that in Matthew chapter 1. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Faithful to the law. Now that... In Greek, that's all just one word. 
It's the word tzaddik. Shall we have a go at saying that? You've got to get the T-S sound. Tzaddik. Try that. Tzaddik. Yeah, it's fun to say, isn't it? You get a bit of spittle going. As you, it's probably not great this year, is it? But uh, that's, you know, that's tzaddik. It means righteous. Righteous. And it, it, righteous, that doesn't just mean like generally a good person. That had a very specific meaning. It meant that you were observant of the Jewish law. To be righteous meant that you kept the Torah, particularly those first five books of the Bible, the Jewish Torah, the sacred law of Moses. To be a righteous person in these days meant that you kept that law scrupulously. And Joseph would have done that. So Joseph would never have worked on the Sabbath, would never have lifted a hammer on the Sabbath. Joseph would never have had bacon and eggs for breakfast. Never. No ham sandwiches. Nothing. He was a good kosher Jew never would have gone to a birthday party down the road for a non-Jewish person. Never. Wouldn't do it. That's just how it was for the Jewish people. They kept themselves pure. They kept themselves separate. So Joseph was a law-abiding person. He was righteous. He was tzaddik. And he would have been known as a righteous man. This would have been his standing in the community. A young man, but he was righteous. Joseph kept the law. And he would have been looked up to by others because of his righteousness. That was an important thing, an important part of Joseph's character. Now, somewhere along the line, Joseph meets this young woman from his hometown, from Nazareth, named Mary. And they fall in love, and they start talking about life together, and they start imagining their future together. And then pretty quickly, Joseph's family would have got involved in that, and Mary's family would have got involved in that, because families were very involved when people got married back in those days. It's maybe a bit like today, but even more so. And so Joseph's father would have had a conversation with Mary's father. And Joseph's dad would have paid a dowry to Mary's parents. And they would have arranged this marriage. And back in these days, marriages happened in two stages. First of all, there was the betrothal. Now, that's a little bit like getting engaged, but it's a bigger deal. Because once you're betrothed, you are technically married. And you can't get unbetrothed unless through a divorce. So it's not like today where you can just call off a, 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 an engagement. To be betrothed, that was a legal proceeding. And that was step one in marriage. And so Joseph and Mary got betrothed, which, which meant they were legally married. But when couples were betrothed, the wife would still live in her parents' house for that period of time until they were officially married. And then there was a big ceremony, a big celebration. They would have the wedding itself. And at that stage, the wife would then move into the husband's home. So Joseph and Mary get betrothed kind of like engaged, but more serious. And then they have this time of planning the wedding, of thinking and dreaming about life together, making all these plans for their future. It would have been an exciting time for them in Nazareth. And then one day, Mary comes to Joseph and she drops the bombshell. And she says, I'm pregnant. And she has a whole story about an angel. It's always an angel, isn't it? You know, the Holy Spirit... And this is going to be the Messiah, this whole thing. But Joseph didn't buy it because Joseph only knew two things. Number one, Mary's pregnant. Number two, I'm not the father. And just try and imagine for a minute how that made him feel. Just try and understand from Joseph's perspective what this would have been like, just how betrayed he must have felt. That this woman he'd pledged his life to had betrayed him like this. 
that she could have been unfaithful to him like this. All the hopes and the dreams they had for their future and this life they were looking forward to, and now she's run off with some other guy. Just imagine how hurt he must have been, how upset, how devastated Joseph would have felt. And not only was he hurt on a personal level, but now Joseph's got a problem. He's got a real dilemma now as to what he does about his pregnant fiancée. And this dilemma is spelled out for us here in verse 19, very succinctly, but just have a look at these phrases. It says, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Now, usually, the way that we read that sentence is that mentally we insert the word therefore in, in the middle. So we read it as Joseph was faithful to the law and therefore he did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace. As if Joseph's righteousness led him to have compassion on Mary. As if Joseph's righteousness led him to be kind to Mary. As if Joseph's righteousness was the reason that he didn't want Mary to be shamed and disgraced. But that's not how this verse reads at all. Because remember, Joseph was a righteous man and righteousness meant doing exactly what the law requires. And in this case, the law is very clear about what should happen. And you can read Deuteronomy 22, and I won't go into detail, but it's not pretty. That when you have a woman who is unfaithful like that, there's a whole series of things that then kick in, and that could possibly have ended in Mary's death. It could literally have ended with Mary being handed over to the authorities and, and put to death. That's how serious it was. That's how scandalous it was. That's how outraged the Jewish community would have been by this kind of thing. I mean, today, people have kids outside of marriage all the time. Back in those days, in a close-knit little community like Nazareth, this would have been the talk of the town. And if you're going to be faithful to the law, then you're going to hand Mary over to the authorities and you're going to let her get what's coming to her. And that's what Joseph would have done if he was a righteous man, because that's what the law required. But Joseph was not just a righteous man. He also loved Mary. He loved this woman and he'd given his life to her and they'd planned a future together and he loved her. And even though he felt totally betrayed by her, because he didn't believe her story, he still loved her. And because he loved her, he didn't want her to be humiliated. He didn't want her to be shamed. He certainly didn't want her to be punished and possibly die. He loved her too much for that. So Joseph is torn between his righteousness over here, his righteous character, but yet over here, his, his love for Mary. That's why in this verse in the NIV, you have the word yet in the middle of that verse. Can you see that, some of you? Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet, you see, there's a contrast between those two things. Righteous on the one hand, and yet, he loved her and didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. This would have created an unbearable tension within Joseph as to what he was going to do. So he comes up with a solution. And he says, I know what I'm going to do. I will divorce Mary quietly. Now, you can't just call off engagement. It's not that simple because this was already a legally established thing. But he could have gone and talked to one of the city magistrates and he could have got the paperwork done and he could have annulled the marriage just quietly and then he could have sent Mary away. And she would have had to leave town. I mean, as soon as she started showing, she would have had to leave town. And she would have had to start a new life somewhere else. And it would have been a tough life 
as a single mum. But at least it wouldn't have meant what it would have meant in Nazareth. At least it wouldn't have ended up in her death. And so Joseph, with a very, very heavy heart, decided this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send her away. This woman that he loved and had committed his life to, he, he decides I'm going to divorce her and ask her to move away from town. Now, before he gets an opportunity to do that, Joseph then gets his own visitation from an angel. And the angel says to him, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The baby that's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and he is Emmanuel. He's the promised one. In other words, Joseph, this is the, this is the one, this child that your family has been expecting all these years, that son of David, this is that baby, the very baby that Mary is carrying. This is that child, Joseph. And for Joseph to hear that, to hear the angels say those words, on one hand, must have been a huge relief for Joseph. Because now at least he knew Mary was telling the truth. Now at least he knew this was not a made-up story and Mary hasn't been unfaithful after all. And she still loves me. And, and we're going to be okay and the relationship is going to be all right. And there hasn't been this betrayal of trust. So he must have been relieved about that. But at the same time, that would have then thrown Joseph into a whole new dilemma. Because now he's got a huge challenge. Now he's got to decide whether to follow through with this. Because when you think about it, no one else in Nazareth is going to believe that story, are they? I mean, no one else got a visit from an angel. Only Joseph and Mary know the truth of what's going on. As far as everyone else is concerned, here's a promiscuous woman who is now getting married to a man who is just going to be tarnished by her reputation. And if Joseph went through with it, took Mary as his wife, that shame that she'd brought upon herself in the eyes of everyone else would have covered him as well that he would have been disgraced as a person. His family reputation would have been completely tarnished. It probably would have affected his father's business. No one's going to want to go near that. These people, these immoral people that would let their son go through with this kind of marriage. And his own righteous character would have been totally destroyed because what Joseph is choosing was not to be faithful to the law. And so that character that he'd built up and that standing that he had in the eyes of everyone else, that Sadiq. That would have just gone up in smoke. And now he would be nothing more than an immoral man getting married to an unfaithful woman. That's what was on the line for him. And yet here's what we read. This very understated way in verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded. And Joseph obeyed. And he took Mary as his wife. He followed through on that commitment. And you don't want to overlook what a huge call that was for Joseph. It wasn't just as simple as getting married. It wasn't just as simple as following through. His entire reputation was on the line. His honor, his family's honor, his livelihood, his future, his personal reputation, everything went out the door when he did that. Everything went up in smoke when he did that. He sacrificed his entire reputation and standing in the community in order to simply obey something he didn't even know what that meant yet. He didn't even know what was going on yet. All he knew is that God was asking him to take Mary as his wife and this child was going to be special. He didn't see the full picture. He didn't know what was going on. And yet he just stepped out in faith and he was willing. And Joseph made a huge sacrifice so that story could move forward. Joseph made a huge sacrifice right here so that this plan of God could unfold in the way that it did. You never want to overlook Joseph's part in this story. So here's the beauty of Joseph's story, I think. In the middle of all this, God is doing something incredible. 
in the middle of all of this confusion and this wrestling that Joseph would have had, I think what God is doing is he is showing Joseph a new definition of righteousness. Because Joseph was a righteous man. Yeah? He, was, he was Sadiq. But I think what God is saying is, Joseph, there's going to be a whole new kind of righteousness that's coming into the world now. Because you think about that dilemma Joseph had between his being righteous, being faithful to the law, and yet loving Mary over here. You know, in a way, isn't that a picture of the same dilemma that God faces in regard to us? I think that's why Joseph's story is in the Bible, because it shows us something about God. I mean, God himself is the righteous one. Yes, God himself is the ultimate tzaddik. His character is the essence of righteousness. He is far more righteous than any human person. He is utterly holy, totally unique, morally perfect, absolutely pure. God is the, is the truly righteous one. And yet God looks at you and I, and what does he see? Unrighteousness. Right? God looks at us. He sees broken people. He sees people who have, who have failed and have all kinds of flaws. He sees people who ignore him and just live in selfishness and live in idolatry and live in godlessness and ignore him a lot of the time. He sees this unrighteousness in our lives. And here's the dilemma. God, on the one hand, God's righteousness requires him to punish sin. See, it's just like Joseph and Mary. What does righteousness require? Punishment for sin. What does God's righteousness require? Punishment for our sin. It requires him to deal with sin. God can't just look the other way at your sin. He wouldn't be God if he did that. He certainly wouldn't be morally pure. He wouldn't be righteous anymore. God, by definition, has to distance himself from sin, separate himself from sin. That means we're on the receiving end of being alienated and separated from God. That's what our sins deserve. That's what our sins accrue for us is eternal death and separation from God. It's not happy, but that's just the reality. God's righteousness requires him to deal with sin. But here's the great contrast. God also loves us. Just like Joseph and Mary. Joseph was drawn with a heart of love to Mary. God is drawn with a heart of love to us. And he loves us. And even though we're unrighteous, God says, I can't give you up. I just can't turn away from you because I love you and I've created you and you bear my image and you are my children and I am your father and I'm not just going to stop loving you. He loves us with this mysterious, relentless, ruthless kind of love that just will not stop. So can you see God's dilemma? Just like Joseph's dilemma. God's torn between his righteousness over here that requires punishment for sin and his love over here that cannot hand us over to death. And so here's the solution that God found. The Christmas story. That's, what, that's what's going on here. This is the great solution to the tension between God's righteousness and God's love is that He gave His only Son. That He gave us Jesus. That Jesus came into this world, born in the most humble circumstances, grew up to be a man, and died on a cross. And on that cross, here's the beautiful picture. God's righteousness and his love come together. God's righteousness and his love are finally reconciled at the cross. Because it's at the cross where you see God's righteousness is satisfied because sin is punished. But it's not us that took the punishment. 
It was Jesus. It was God's own son, the one person who didn't deserve it. The one person who was truly righteous. Jesus was the most righteous person who's ever lived. And yet the, the punishment for sin was poured out upon him. God's wrath was poured out upon his own son. So sin was condemned. Sin was punished on the cross. So God's righteousness is satisfied. And yet at the same time, God's love is satisfied. Because he takes all of your sin and he places it on Jesus. And then guess what? He gives, takes all of Jesus' righteousness and he gives it to you. That's an unbelievable gift. That he takes the righteousness of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus, and he gives it to you as a sheer gift. This is ultimately where the nativity story leads us. This is the gift ultimately that God, God has given us. That we receive this new kind of righteousness now that has come into the world. It's not a righteousness that's based on keeping a whole lot of rules. It's not a righteousness that's based on keeping the law anymore. It's a righteousness that we can only receive. We can't achieve. We can only receive. And it's a righteousness that means Jesus' perfect life becomes our life. Jesus' perfect record becomes our perfect record. Not because, we, not, not because of anything in ourselves, but because of the perfection of Jesus. Jesus' faithfulness becomes our faithfulness. Jesus' obedience becomes our obedience. Jesus' perfection becomes our perfection. Jesus' perfect record becomes our perfect record. Jesus' life becomes our life. His death becomes our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. Everything he has, even his future inheritance, becomes our future inheritance. Everything he has, the righteousness of Jesus becomes ours, and it's all a sheer gift of God's grace. All we can do is receive it. All we can do is say, thank you, God, for this incredible new righteousness that has come into the world so that you and I can stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's how the Bible describes it, like a garment wrapped around us now. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's how we stand before God. It's an unbelievable gift. So where we end up then is with these two kinds of righteousness, the old kind and the new kind. Let me just describe this the way Paul describes it in Philippians 3, verse 9. He says, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So there's two kinds of righteousness now. There's the old kind based on the law, and there's the new kind, which is just based on faith. And you see both of those in Joseph's story, don't you? I mean, Joseph had the old kind of righteousness. He was very scrupulous about the law. He observed the law very well. And yet God is saying, Joseph, that's not the kind of righteousness I want anymore. That's not the way that people are going to relate to me anymore. There's this new kind of righteousness coming into the world, and all you can do is receive it. All you can do is open your arms to it, Joseph. All you, I mean, we only see the seed of this in the Joseph story. Joseph didn't understand the fullness of this. This is just the seed of the gospel there. But this new righteousness that comes purely by faith. And I think that journey that Joseph went on of leaving behind that old kind of righteousness, giving that up in a sense, and embracing this new kind of righteousness that just came by faith in God, just trusting in God, that's the journey God wants every one of us to go on and keep going on every day of our lives. This is what God is constantly calling you to. He's saying, I want you to leave behind that old righteousness. That old way of relating to God where it's all about our spiritual performance. I mean, you do this, right? I do this. 
We count up our brownie points before God and decide how good we are or how pleased God is with us. And if we've had a good day, we feel close to God. And if we've had a bad day, we feel far away from God. And it's all based on my effort and my performance. We still slip into it and we still do it. And it's that old kind of righteousness coming back up again. And God says, you've got to leave it behind because that is not how I'm relating to you anymore. There is a new kind of righteousness, and all you can do is receive it. All you can do is receive it by faith, just like Joseph did. And sometimes that's not easy because we want to feel like we work for what we get. But God's saying you can't do that anymore. All you can do is receive it and trust that you are loved, you are accepted, you are forgiven, and you are free because you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus if you belong to him. That's the incredible gift. And we've got to remember that on our very worst days. When everything goes wrong and you trip over the dog on the way down the hallway and you've got no milk in the fridge and things come up at work that are just a nightmare and you slip into those old habits and you're tired and grumpy and you're just one of those days you just wish would end. You've got to remember on those days, I'm still clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And you've got to remember it on your best days when you're doing really well and you're kicking all of those habits and you're acing it and you feel like I'm, an, I'm a legendary Christian today, then those times, guess what that's called? Self-righteousness. Those are the times we've got to come back and remember it's only by grace that I stand before God. It's nothing in me, nothing in me that I could ever do. I depend at every moment for every breath on the righteousness of Christ. It's never me. And yes, God wants to call us to holiness, but it's only as an overflow on what he's already done in our lives. So we don't know too much about Joseph after the birth of Jesus. After those early chapters in the gospel, he kind of fades from the scene. And it's pretty likely that Joseph died when Jesus was still at quite a young age. Because by the time you get to the cross, Jesus is making provisions for his mother to go and live with John and his dad's not there. So we don't know quite what happened to Joseph, but I'm sure that Jesus always remembered the character of his father. I'm sure that Jesus always remembered the righteousness of his father, but, but how at the same time, Joseph was willing to step into that new righteousness, take a step of faith and open up his arms to what God was doing in his life. And I pray that maybe Joseph's story can be an encouragement to us. That as we think about Joseph this Christmas, we can think about those, all, those two types of righteousness and whether we really are moving away from that kind that is just based on the law and based on our own performance, and whether we can really receive and maybe appreciate afresh, receive afresh that gift of righteousness that we stand before God now purely on the basis of faith. Let's let Joseph teach us that lesson afresh, that you are loved, you are accepted, you are forgiven, and it's all because of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. So Father, we thank you for this man Joseph, this real man, the adopted father of Jesus. And we thank you for his life. And even though we don't know a lot about him, we just thank you that you used him in a powerful way to show us something about who you are, show us something about your grace, show us something about this incredible gift that you have offered to every one of us, the free gift of righteousness that comes through your son, Jesus. Father, we pray as we look out over this next week, journeying towards Christmas Day, all the things that we've got to do, the experiences that we'll have with family and friends. Lord, I pray that this gift 
you have given us would burn in our hearts again through this Christmas season, that this old familiar story that we think we know so well would come alive to us again in a fresh way. And we would just glimpse afresh the wonder of what you have done for us. Just let us be amazed. Let us be blown away all over again by this incredible gift of grace and righteousness that's come to us through Jesus. We thank you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.